Good morning. In our time together, we're going to give you some tools to overcome anger in your life. It's great to be with you here at Journey. And I was trying to think of the right word to describe what God is doing here. And normally I would say something like, this is exciting or maybe awesome. But after hanging out with my kids, one word comes to mind. What God is doing here is epic. (laughs) My relationship with your pastor, who is an incredible man of God, and Journey has grown over this summer, and it's just an absolute thrill to be with you today. Has this ever happened to you? You get up in the morning, and you have your devotions. You're in God's Word. You're hearing from Him. You have a prayer time. And you've had your spiritual breakfast. You're ready to do great things for God. But you get in your car and suddenly a transformation takes place. You're driving down the road and someone pulls out in front of you and suddenly you have angry thoughts. You have angry words. And it's a good thing the other driver can't hear your words. And suddenly you've lost your sanctification. Has that ever happened to you? Road rage. It's happened to me. I remember one time I came out of the Walmart parking lot and years ago I had this Dodge Stealth twin turbo, nice little sports car. And I try to take care of it. And coming out of the parking lot and I see this couple getting out of their pickup truck and they put a door ding on my Stealth. So I walked over to them and said, hey, you just put a door ding on my car. And the guy denied it. And he started to get belligerent, acting like a jerk. And there I was, Reverend Alex Che, licensed and ordained minister. And all I wanted to do was put a ding on his truck, or better yet, put a ding on his head. And this argument started to escalate, and I'm glad... I just stepped back because the consequences of of arguing with this guy would not have been pretty. Road rage. How many of you struggle with road rage? Well, I do. There's not just road rage, though. There's grocery store rage, having conflict over the produce section. And then there's little league rage. And I'm not talking about the kids. I'm talking about the parents. There's internet rage. There's political rage. Why are we so angry as Americans? Well, I have a theory. I think the reason that we get so angry is because as Americans, we have this uh, belief in individual freedom and individual rights. It's deep in our DNA. Now listen, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, those are good things. I happen to like living in America. Had there been just a few different circumstances in my life, I could literally be living in North Korea right now, and that does not sound very good to me. I'm very, very happy to be here in Bozeman, Montana. It's a good thing. Now, here's the danger, though, of the American culture. If we're not careful, being American can transcend being Christian. And because we have this sense of rights, we can become angry because here's what anger is. Anger is like a warning light that comes on that our rights 
have been violated. You can put that in your notes. Anger is a warning sign that our rights have been violated. Now notice I put the word rights in quotation marks. Here's why. Sometimes our rights have genuinely been violated. A wrong has been done to us. But at other times we get angry. Even though we're in the wrong, we still think we're in the right. But either way, anger is a sign that we feel in some way someone has violated our rights. And as I think about anger, I see that there are two basic kinds of anger. All anger is not the same. There's righteous anger and there is unrighteous anger. Now, how do we know there's something called righteous anger? We know that because the Bible says sometimes God is angry. And I want you to look at these scriptures with me in your notes. Numbers 12, 9. So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. Psalm 6, 1. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. What is God so angry about? I'll tell you what God is angry about. He's angry about sin because sin ruins his creation. Sin ruins his plan for you and I. That is what God is angry about. So there is a righteous indignation that God feels and sometimes we can feel. And it's okay to be angry when a child starves to death. There is a righteous indignation over a wife that gets beat up by her husband or an elderly woman who gets conned out of her money. There is a righteous anger. But a lot of times what you and I deal with on a day-to-day basis isn't so much righteous anger. It's unrighteous anger. And this is uh, explained in James 1, 19 to 20. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Listen to this biblical formula. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why do we get in trouble? Well, because often we're slow to hear or listen, and we're quick to speak, and we're quick to anger. We have it all backwards. Notice also the Bible says that the anger of man, our unrighteous anger, cannot accomplish the righteousness of God. So most often the anger that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis is what I would consider unrighteous anger. Not only are there two kinds of anger, usually there are two basic expressions of anger. There's outward anger and inward expressions of anger. When I came out and saw that this guy had put a ding on my nice car, there were expressions of anger. Outward expressions of anger can consist of words, actions, expressions that can lead even to physical violence. It can lead to hurting someone else. When you're having an argument with someone and they pick up a chair 
and they break it over your head. That is what we call an outward expression of anger. It's very easy to see that person is angry with you. But there's another kind of anger that's not as obvious, but it's just as dangerous, and that's inward anger. You see, just because a person isn't yelling at you or breaking chairs over your head, it doesn't mean that they're not an angry person because some people deal with anger in an inward way. And here's what happens. If we don't deal with our anger and it turns inward, it can become resentment and bitterness. And here's what happens. People may not see it right away, but it's like, a toxin that begins to pollute the groundwater of our heart. A couple weeks ago, when you were having your first service here in this amazing building, and I say, go God and go journey, my daughter was getting married in Big Sky. It was a fantastic weekend for us as a family. Picture perfect celebrating my daughter's wedding and I was thinking about what God was doing here as well. Just a wonderful weekend. And I got to do part of the ceremony. And in part of the ceremony, I said to my daughter and my new son-in-law, remember that this is a great day, but after every wedding comes a marriage. And there will be times that you have to remember the commitment that you've made to love one another Because respect is like the soil in which love grows. And if you lose respect for someone, it becomes difficult to love them. And one of the reasons we lose respect for our spouse is because of resentment. And it's so important, especially as married couples, that we're dealing with resentment. Because if we don't and we just ignore it, it will go underground. And it will become like this undercurrent that erodes even the best foundations of marriage. And so we need to watch out for these inward expressions of anger. And sometimes our anger isn't just turned inward against another person. Sometimes our anger is turned inward toward ourselves. Where we make a decision to be a better person and then we fail... Again and again and again. And then there's this self-loathing that takes place. And we're actually angry with ourselves. And we can't forgive ourselves for the things that we've done. You know what I've discovered is the big deal with uh, anger? Is that my willpower is not enough to overcome my anger issues. There are many instances where I have said to myself... I'm not going to be angry anymore. I'm making a decision not to be so angry. And then I blow it. And then I get angry with myself because I got angry once again. And what I've learned is that willpower is not enough to overcome the sin in my life. But maybe that's not all bad news because if I don't have the power to overcome anger and sin in my life, Maybe God has power to do that for me. And maybe it's not so much about willpower. Maybe it's more about God's power. Big difference. His name is Justin John Bowden, age 27 from Minnesota. He pleaded guilty to assault charges. And here's the irony of the story. 
He was at a bus stop headed to his anger management class. When he felt this 59-year-old woman was disrespecting him, so he started yelling at her. She got afraid, pulled out her cell phone to call the cops, so he just punched her in the face. There's a 63-year-old man saw this going on and tried to intervene. He took his three-ring binder and hit the 63-year-old man across the head. His anger management homework went all over the place, and he ran away. And the way he, they tracked him down was through the paperwork that was left at the bus stop. Now, that is a sad but true story. But how many times... Have we tried to deal with our own anger with some kind of an anger management class, as it were, and we have failed time and time again? Well, I've got some good news for you. If that's happened to you, it certainly has happened to me, God has some answers for us that work. And today we want to give you a tool from God's Word that will help you overcome anger in your life. And this is not just about you and I just making a decision to be better people. This is about us receiving his truth and receiving his power in our lives. So I'd like for you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at one of the best passages on how to deal with anger in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 26 to 32. And I'd like for you to go ahead and read this out loud. But don't just read this like they're just words. Read this as God's word that can make a difference in your life today. Ready? Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Would you underline two phrases here? The devil and opportunity, and just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The Bible says, be angry but don't sin. Listen, We can't control the emotion of anger. When you're driving down the highway and someone pulls out in front of you and you slam on the brakes and the coffee goes everywhere, you're going to feel a a rush of adrenaline and you are going to feel this emotion called anger. Now it's what you do with that emotion you just experienced that makes all the difference in the world. But we can't control the way we feel about these situations. But we can make a decision what to do when we're angry. So the Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. And what's this thing about not going to bed angry and letting the sun go down on your anger? Here's what it means. Okay, you're going to feel emotions of anger, but don't stay angry. Would you think it a little strange if five or six years later, I'm still really angry with the guy who put a a ding on my car? You would say, that's a little odd. Get over it. It's okay to feel upset that that happened, but don't stay angry over those situations. 
Now, a lot of times we think anger is just an emotional issue. But listen, anger is also a spiritual issue. Because here's what the Bible says. When we're angry and we sin, we give the devil opportunity or a foothold or room in our lives to work. You see, when you and I sin, it's like the enemy gets his hook into us and it gives him opportunity to wreak havoc in our lives. Here's what the Bible says about the devil, the enemy of our souls. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the ways he destroys the work of God in our lives is through the sin of anger. And when we give in to that sin, we give a foothold. Think about a rock climber looking for some way to get a foothold. When we give in to the sin of anger, we give the enemy a foothold. And think about the damage that takes place all around us because of the sin of anger. It's a spiritual issue, not just an emotional issue. And the Bible says, don't let the enemy have room to work in your life. But that still doesn't really solve the problem because for me, knowing what the right thing to do isn't always enough. Sometimes I don't seem to have the power to do the right thing. And this is where the Bible gives us some real solutions. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, let that be put away from you. But how do we do that? How do we get rid of those things in our lives? Well, here's the key. At the very end of that passage, it says that we are to forgive others just as God in Christ has forgiven you and I. Do you know what happens when we sin? We incur a spiritual and moral debt that has to be paid. See, a lot of people have a misconception about God the Father, that he is this angry God wanting repayment and punishment for sin. But do you realize that when we sin and we break God's holy laws, we incur a debt. And that has to be paid by someone. And and sometimes we think God is really angry, but Jesus is really nice. But no, God wants to forgive us, but that debt still has to be paid. And that's why the cross is the answer to this dilemma, because God can be both the judge and the redeemer. So just as God in Christ has forgiven us. You see, here is the antidote to anger. It's forgiveness, and here's what forgiveness is. It's canceling a debt that somebody owes us. The antidote to anger is, is canceling a debt that someone owes us. Let me illustrate it in this way. Is there a college student here that could use some money? I just need one person to come up and come on up, would you? Hi, what's your name? Avery, hi. Here's some money. There you go. It's, well, it's actually a loan, but go ahead and hold on to it. Now, I just gave Avery some money Well, actually, I didn't just give Avery money. Journey gave Avery money. I don't want you to think I'm that generous. So I just gave Avery some money now. It's actually a loan, Avery. And there are two ways to deal with this. The one way is for Avery to pay that loan back to me. Now, let's say Avery decides not to give my money back. We have a problem because now I'm angry. Why? Because she owes me money. Now, I could 
get angry and I could force her to give that money back to me. That's one way. But another way is for me to decide, you know what? I'm just going to cancel that debt and I'm not going to hold that debt against her and Avery can just keep that money. And Avery, you can just keep that money and go to lunch. So there you go. See, here's what happens with uh, issues of forgiveness is that when someone has become indebted to us, and remember how the Lord's Prayer goes? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We can either demand repayment or we can forgive that debt. And that's exactly what Christ did for us on the cross as he chose to pay for our debt. Now, I want you to look at Colossians chapter 2 because this is a powerful, amazing scripture that will help us understand how to overcome anger in our lives. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Listen to this. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Sin brings death. It brings separation from God. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave most of our sins. No. Some of our sins. He forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record or literally the certificate of debt of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory. Would you underline that word? Over them on the cross. I want you to capture these incredible truths found in this passage of Scripture. In the ancient world, when a financial transaction took place, you would take a piece of parchment and you would, in your own handwriting, write out the terms. You would uh, make a loan document, as it were. And whether you were lending money or borrowing money, this all took place with your own handwriting. That word record there literally means handwriting. Now, it's not that different today, is it? If you go to the bank to get a loan, you have a stack of papers, but at the very end of that set of documents, what is required of you to get money from the bank? You've got to take a pen, and you've got to put what? Your signature in your own handwriting, because when you do that, that means that you are willing to repay that debt, right? And then the bank gives you money. The picture here is that all of us have a piece of parchment and in our own handwriting, we're writing down all the sins we've ever committed. The sin of anger. And you just go down the list. And and now we've got this this debt that we've incurred and we can either deal with it ourselves and try to pay for it ourselves, deal with the guilt and shame of it all, or we can take this debt that we have and we can bring it to the cross. And when it's nailed to the cross, like they did in the ancient world, when they were done with that parchment, they would wash that ink away and it would just be all clean. And that's the picture there. You and I bring our sins to the cross. And Jesus at the cross 
washed that clean so that you and I can have a fresh start, a clean slate, and that we can be forgiven. When we understand what he's done for us, it becomes easier to forgive other people. Just as God in Christ has forgiven us. And the incredible thing about what Christ did at the cross, it's enough for my sins, it's enough for your sins, for all of humanity throughout all the generations. He paid the debt for all our sins. And what he asks us to do is to bring our certificate of debt humbly to him and nail it to the cross so that we can truly be free, truly be forgiven. When you begin to understand what Christ did for you, it becomes easier to forgive other people and to cancel their debt. But that's not all that Jesus did on the cross. I mean, that in itself is amazing that he would forgive our sins. See, there's a spiritual component to our lives. There's a third party involved, the enemy of our souls. And when we sin and incur this debt, he can use those charges against us. He now has a right to say there's a debt that needs to be paid, and that's why the cross is the answer. At the height of the Roman Empire, when a general fought a battle for Rome on foreign soil, and he won a decisive victory, and he killed at least 5,000 of the enemy's troops, and he gained new territory for the emperor, he was given a great honor called the Roman Triumph. It's similar to the American ticker tape parade. The conquering general would come to Rome and he would ride on a golden chariot throughout the city on a prescribed route. His officers would surround him and they would show the spoils of war and some of the defeated enemy was dis- were there on display, and they had this grand parade that led to the Circus Maximus, where these morbid games would take place, and, and some of the enemy were killed in this Roman triumph. It was a great and grand and glorious day for Roman citizens. And as this procession took place in Rome, the Roman priests would burn incense and people would throw down flowers. And, and as they walked over these flowers, the, the flowers would be crushed and that, that aroma would begin to fill the air and the incense would begin to fill the air. And that odor or that aroma meant different things to different people. If you were part of the triumphant crowd, it was a reminder that there was a victory that had been won. If you were part of the defeated enemy, that aroma was a reminder that you were being led to your death. And in this word picture about what Christ did to disarm the spiritual powers of darkness, what looked like a decisive victory for the enemy actually became his defeat, and he's never recovered from it, and he never will. That's what it means that he disarmed the spiritual rulers. On the cross, not only did Jesus wipe away the certificate of debt, he won a victory for us. And every time we overcome sin through what Christ did for us, every time we preach the gospel, every time we hear a testimony of God's grace, every time there is life transformation, that is a reminder to the enemy that Christ has won the victory 
and that he is defeated. But it's a reminder to you and I that we get to celebrate the victory of Christ. Here's another thing that happened in this grand procession. The sons of the general would walk behind the chariot and share in his father's victory. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. The picture is that you and I, as his sons and daughters, are celebrating the victory that Christ won for us. And, And there's a constant reminder, not only is the enemy defeated, because we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. It's also a reminder that we get to share in, ultimately, the victory that Jesus won for you and I on the cross. So the antidote to anger isn't just willpower. The antidote to anger isn't just more goodness from us. The antidote to anger is forgiveness. Just as God has forgiven us, we choose to forgive other people. It's not about an emotion or a feeling. It's about obedience to what he's asked us to do. The antidote to anger in our lives is forgiveness or making a decision to cancel the debt that people have incurred against us because God has been so wonderfully merciful to you and I. Big difference between saying, I'm just not going to be angry anymore, I find that doesn't work very well. And coming to a place of understanding of what Jesus did for you and I because of his great mercy and his love. And then the recognition he gives us spiritual weapons that are effective against a defeated enemy. And when we begin to walk in that, we now have freedom, we have life, and we have better relationships all the way around. That's the good news. That's what I want you to leave with today. It's really more about what he's done than what we've done. I want to invite you to just go and bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes and take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to take what you've heard this morning from his word and apply it to your heart. Some of you are... Uh, college students, some of you have been married for a long time. We're in different stages and ages of life, different seasons. But I want you to know that you're not here by accident. And that God wants to give you what you need to live the life that he's created you to live. Don't let the sin of anger rob you of what he wants for you. And I want to ask you a question this morning. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond and Please know I won't embarrass you. This may be your first time to journey. It may be your first time in church. Maybe this thing called Christianity is new. Wherever you're at, I want to encourage you just to open up your heart to God's Word and God's Spirit right now. If you're here today and you would say, Alex, I've tried to deal with my own sins, my own problems, and my own strength, and it's just not working. And today, I want to say yes to what Christ did for me. I want to bring my certificate of debt, all the things that I've done wrong, all the things that haunt me, my regrets, my failures, my bad decisions, the way I've hurt other people, my self-loathing, this horrible cycle that I'm in. And, And I realize I can't do life on my own, that I am not good enough, I am not strong enough, 
I am not wise enough. I am not powerful enough to do life on my own. And today, I want to acknowledge that I need a Savior. And I want to turn my back on this selfish way of living that's all about me and what I want. I want to turn my back on that. That's what the Bible calls repentance. And I want to turn toward God. And today, I want not only His forgiveness, but I want His power in my life. And I just want to say to Jesus, I believe in you and I accept what you accomplished for me on the cross. And if that's your decision today, it might be the first time you've ever made a decision like this. And you would say, that's what I want to do. I want to invite you to simply raise your hand and then would you hold it up long enough so I can make eye contact with you because I want to make this personal and I want to pray for you. I want to partner with you and I want to agree with you. If you are saying yes to his forgiveness this morning, would you just slip up your hand and look up at me so, yeah, I see you and I partner with you. Yes, I see you as well. In the very back, yeah, I see you as well. Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. Yes, over to the right, I agree with you as well. God bless you. Anyone else this morning who would say, I want, yeah, I partner with you today. Lord bless you. Thanks for having the courage. Yes, yeah. Thanks for saying yes to him. Anyone else this morning who would say, I just need to confess that I need a savior. And you will find an incredible new sense of purpose, a new life that is birthed in your heart. And you won't do life alone. Anyone else this morning, I just want to make sure that I don't, Oh, yeah, in the very back, I partner with you as well. God bless you. God's grace to you. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you as well. This is the best decision you've ever made. Yeah, over there to the right. Yeah. And it's the most eternal decision you've ever made. And we celebrate with you right now because God is going to do some amazing things in your life. And we're going to pray with you in just a moment. For others of you, you have experienced the forgiveness that Christ offers. And I will never cease to be amazed at how he continues to forgive me again and again and again. His mercy is simply incredible. And you may be here today and you've experienced his forgiveness, but you're quite aware that there's a person that has offended you. Maybe they've sinned against you. And we're not just talking about forgiveness in a generic sense. We're talking about a person, an individual that you can name. And I want to challenge you to do something right now. I want to challenge you to make a decision not to hold on to that debt any longer, but to release that person of that debt. So I want you to just picture who this individual is. And then I want you to picture what it is that they did to you and what they took from you. What's the debt they owe you? Did they take your money or your possessions? Did they take your dignity? Did they take your future or a job or a relationship? Did they steal something from you, a dream, something that was so valuable to you? Would you, in this moment, make a decision 
to cancel that debt. In your outline, there's a prayer, and I just want to help you through this in your mind and heart. It says, Heavenly Father, there's a space there for a name, has taken, and then what it is that they've taken from me, I have held on to this debt long enough. I choose to cancel this debt. Name of this person doesn't owe me anymore. Just as you forgave me, I forgive in that person's name. So here it is. If you're willing to cancel that person's debt as an act of obedience, why don't you just lift your hand and say, I choose, and just lift it and just keep it there for a moment. That, that is between you and the Lord saying, yeah, Lord, you, you've forgiven me, so I'm going to release this person of this debt. And I believe as you are making this decision right now, something supernatural is taking place in your heart and your spirit and in your circumstances. God will meet you in a powerful way because you are now tapping into his power and not just your power. So just do business with God for a moment and allow him to heal you and to set you free, give you new perspective. And if you're here today and you're married, I know how this works. So often we can let those little resentments build and ruin the life that God wants for us as married people. Would you let go of that resentment? Would you just give it to Jesus, take it to the cross? Lord, we are so humbled today, so amazed at what you accomplished for us on the cross. And for all of eternity, we will celebrate your goodness and your kindness. I pray especially for those today who have said yes to your forgiveness. Lord, what an amazing thing to know that we can have a second chance, a fresh start. And for each person that said yes to you, I believe that there is new life taking place right now. Help them to know not only do they belong to you, now they belong to a family that will walk with them and love them and support them. Lord, when they walk out of these doors today, the circumstances of their lives might not be all that different, but their heart will be different. And you don't just stay here, you go with them. You'll be with them 24-7. So Lord, let their relationship with you now just begin to take off and permeate their thoughts and their attitudes and their relationships and their decisions. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in their lives. And for each person today that's made a decision to cancel a debt, I know the temptation will be to go back and rehearse that hurt or that offense. But would you give them grace each time that memory comes up to say, I have canceled that debt and give them freedom like they've never experienced before. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful to you. And we pray all of these things in your precious name. Amen.